welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And today we're doing part two of debunking the wasp, which is what I'm calling it. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, it's the second part of the You're Wrong About Wasps saga. So if you didn't listen to part one, go back and give that a listen and then come back here because it was good basics. As Olivia said last episode, most of us, including me, do not know the basics of wasps. Yeah, it was all, all new info to us and to me. And yeah, go go listen. You'll learn that wasps are basically everywhere all the time for like yeah. the past 300 million years. And they're important. And they're very important. We're going to dive further into their importance today. Awesome. Well, I guess let's just get into it. We already heard what Blathers had to say, so. That's yeah. right. And I, I don't need a long intro like last week. My rant will come at the end this time. (laughs) I do want to give a little bit of summary um, for those of you who did listen last week, but like me, I have very bad memory. I already forgot what I said last week. So let's summarize (laughs) what happened last week. Wasps are a highly diverse group consisting of over 30,000 known species and likely way, way more than that. We just haven't identified all the species They may even have the most species out of any other animal group on the planet. They can be over an inch long to as small as an amoeba. They can come in a huge variety of colors, including bright blues and iridescent greens, yellows, reds, blacks, basically every color imaginable. Wasps as a whole belong to the order Hymenoptera. And this order consists of the sawflies, the ants, and the bees as well. While most wasps are actually solitary and parasitic, The ones we focused on last week, and again this week, are the Vespid wasps. Now, I didn't use this term last week because I thought the taxonomy content was sort of confusing enough, but this word Vespid refers to a family of wasps that include about 5,000 species of both social and solitary wasps. But this group is most famous for it's about 1,000 species of social Vespid wasps, those which are sometimes found in urban settings and which, importantly, live in a colony. Now, these colony-dwelling or eusocial vespids are your typical yellow jackets and hornets you've no doubt had run-ins with. Now, I want to give a summary of the life history of a vespid wasp that we went over last week with a few more details. So don't skip if you heard this life history last week. In temperate parts of the world, as spring emerges, a queen will come out of her hibernation, perhaps below some warm leaves or in the nook of a tree. She will have been fertilized in the fall by a male who has long since died. And now it's the female's turn to shine. She emerges and flies around, looking for suitable wood. Once she finds some, maybe a nearby garden fence, she uses her mandibles to scrape a piece of wood off. She chews the wood until it's soft and wet from her saliva and rolls it up. Then she flies off to find her nesting spot. Here she begins to construct her paper nest. And once she's got a few cells built for her larva, she begins laying eggs. These eggs are the first female workers. Once she's got a few cells built for her hive, she begins laying eggs, and these eggs are her first female workers. The queen does all this initial work by herself. She even goes out searching for flowers with sugary nectar to feed herself, and along the way, she's lucky enough to find a caterpillar. 
She'll spot this caterpillar with compound eyes that wrap around the sides of her head, giving her a nearly 360 degree view around her. These eyes sense motion well, and while they don't see detail very clearly, she will still be able to recognize her future nestmates. Some wasps also have large ocelli, which are three simple eyes formed in a triangle on their foreheads. These will be larger nocturnal wasps because they help distinguish light intensity. Going back to the caterpillar though, she'll fiercely stalk the caterpillar until the moment is right and then bam, she can sting it, paralyze it, and eventually kill it. She takes as much of the caterpillar as she can and chews it up. Some of the fluids of the caterpillar go into her crop, which is stored for later. Back at the hive, she grooms her newly hatched larvae and feed them liquid and bug blood from her crop. The older larvae are big enough to eat some of the caterpillars she brought home. Eventually, her larvae are grown into workers, and while the queen shares some of the duties of building the hive, eventually it's time for her to rest and focus on laying eggs while her daughters do the hard work of rearing their sisters, finding food, and defending the nest. At the end of the season, the hive stops producing workers. Some larvae may even be killed and eaten, but it's all for the good of the hive. Only reproductive females and males will be raised at this point. After all, the whole hive will be dead soon, including the current queen and all her daughters. Only a small number of lucky reproductive females who make it through the cold winter will continue the legacy of the hive. And here I imagine the Hamilton song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, which I (laughs) love. I love that song. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) If you're you're following along and you want the soundtrack. Yeah, you you have to play the last song in the Hamilton soundtrack. Anyway, so that's the story of the wasp hive. Yeah, wow, that was great. It's it's nice to kind of hear it dramatized like that. I realized it was maybe a little bit confusing to listen to like all the facts all together. So I thought if we streamlined it, it might make things more clear. Yeah, it's cool. I This is my official petition for like a follow-up to B-movie, but it's wasp movie. Oh, it would be so know? dramatic. Yeah, and it could be like starring a female wasp you know like a queen wasp making like her it. nest and stuff and and it would it would change the way humans view wasps potentially just like the bee movie changed bee discourse forever it yeah it really did actually yeah that's probably the answer to last week's question of why bees got this publicity bump that wasps didn't get all we need is a poorly animated kind of creepy movie about wasps and yeah. everything will be fixed we need jerry seinfeld yeah <laughs> okay i do have to ask so you said in that story that the queen will sting the caterpillar so does that mean that wasps sting because i feel like some people say that like i think my dad has told me that oh like bees sting and wasps bite is that not true then. Okay, so I've heard that too. And so for the longest time, I also thought that wasps maybe could sting, but would usually bite. But apparently they can do both. So they do have mandibles that can bite and they will try and bite you. But their sting is just like a lot more effective because it's got venom in it. So and it's a retractable stinger that they'll use and they mostly use it in defense and then of course to to hunt sometimes if and so yeah that's a that's a myth that i've definitely heard but it, but yeah they can bite and they can sting okay that's the first debunking first debunking done <laughs> 
Then I also, of course, have to ask about just kind of wasp aggressiveness because we we posted our wasp part one episode and we got a comment on Instagram from Zoo Dad at Work <laughs> who said, quote, all I did was walk past them and bam, eight stings to the ankle. Why? Yeah, shout out to Trevor. That That's terrible. I'm sorry <laughs> that that <laughs> happened. But yeah, it sucks. But let me make this very clear because I know many of our listeners and also my friends and family, I hear this constantly. They think that the wasps are just really mean and evil and just out to get everyone for absolutely no reason. But the thing is, they're not going to put themselves in harm's way for absolutely no reason. And that reason is usually that you behaved usually unintentionally like a threat to them. And this is why you shouldn't swat at a wasp. Usually you should just stay calm around them because if there's one just like flying around and it gets swatted at, it'll be like, oh my goodness, I'm under attack and it'll (laughs) sting you. So don't swat at them. Just like calmly, maybe brush it away if you can. Just try not to be too aggressive or just like wait till it like stops like walking around your arm and flies away on its own. That's my best advice for not being stung. Obviously, that doesn't always work. Like one time a a wasp just flew into my arm and panicked and stung me. It happens. And I mean, we know that we're not going to, you know, manhandle a wasp nest, but they don't know that. Like we talked about in the ant episode, when it comes to you social creatures, their entire lives, their entire evolutionary history, they have been ingrained with the fact, the very simple fact that the most important thing in the entire universe is to protect their hive. Nothing else matters. So if there is even a single threat to them and their hive, they're going to behave defensively. So if you walk a little too close to their hive, if maybe they're already on edge and you happen to walk near them, they're going to be defensive. So there's a lot of reasons that they can just sort of act a little crazy. Swarms will also occur if there is a significant enough threat and you're near a group of wasps from a hive and one releases a distress pheromone, that's going to send the whole colony into a frenzy and they're just going to like try and sting everything. And this is really not great too, because if you're near a swarm, wasps can sting repeatedly. So if there's like eight wasps, that doesn't mean you're going to be stung eight times. It means you can be stung like by eight wasps numerous times. (laughs) So... Not great. This is unlike honeybees and just, I think, most stinging bees, um, like bumblebees as well. They have barbs on their stingers. Wasps also have barbs on their stingers. There's just fewer of them and they're not as, like, intense. So for bees, it makes it a lot easier for their stingers to get stung. Uh, Sorry, to get stuck. (laughs) And they have their stingers kind of ripped out of their body when they fly away. Whereas wasps can just sort of like sting you and pull their barb out. Wasps can also sting both things that are above them and things that are below them. Like they just have very flexible bodies. So that is also a really great adaptation for them. Not so great for us if we happen to (laughs) have one accidentally in our hands. I remember one time I was just standing there and I closed my hand and there just so happened to be a wasp there and it, it stung me pretty bad. But yeah, bees bees can't do this. They have a much weaker sting, like in terms of like the force at which they can sting you and they can only sting in like one direction. You know, knock on wood, I have never been stung by a wasp or bee. Oh, knock on interesting. Wood. 
But then yeah. you don't know if you're allergic or not. I know. That freaks me out because my mom is allergic. Oh. You should go to an allergist. Yeah, I don't think she even has like an EpiPen or anything. I don't really know how like life-threatening her allergy yeah, maybe is. Maybe she but... just swells up a little bit worse. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I'm just like very scared of well, I I think I do a good job of like keeping calm around them. Like I think I just take it I think I take it seriously and I also probably spend a lot less time like outdoors than uh I don't know, you <laughs> and a lot of people. I haven't been stung though doing like outdoorsy things. I think one time I was well, one time I was stung that time I closed my hand. I was at the zoo just standing there supervising a camp. Oh. And then I think I was stung maybe once or twice before as a kid in the backyard. Yeah. I mean, I think I told the story on the podcast like quite a while ago about when my dad and I went sailing and we we were picking up trash on this island and we picked up some like water bottles, like empty water bottles and brought them and then we had them in the dinghy and then we realized that they were full of wasps because they what? were like wasp traps that someone made. Oh no. So we just had like like five bottles full of wasps and a Ew. lot of them were still alive and they were oh, like no. flying out of the bottles, but we didn't get stung. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's my fear of like if someone finds my bottle traps they're just going to, like, pick them up thinking they're doing a nice thing and cleaning up litter. And it's just going to be, like, filled with dead fish and leeches. And yeah. <laughs> I really pity that person. <laughs> One time, uh, if while we're sharing wasp stories, I was working – I was the, – during summer 2020, I was working as a interpreter at this lake near my home. And I was the only interpreter. I was basically the only employee – And we had this like tiny little shack for our nature center. And because it was COVID, we weren't using the shack slash nature center. And so I was just using it. Like I would go in to grab like a few things uh, for interpretive programs for the week. And so I didn't go in there that often. And like, I think I hadn't been there in like a couple weeks. And at one point I like walked in, I'm like gathering all my craft supplies And then I start to notice like a couple wasps and I was like, hmm, okay, I should close the door. And then I turned around and I just see these like wasps descend from the ceiling of this like log cabin. And I just had to like lower myself to the ground to just like sit there. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do in this situation. There are so many wasps, like, I don't know, dozens, if not more, like all buzzing around me and they were like in front of the door too and there was only one exit and they were like all hovering around the door and the door handle and the the other issue was because it was such an old building the lock didn't quite work so it would take me so long like I'm talking five minutes or longer sometimes to get the lock to turn so it meant if I had to escape I would have to like sit there next to the door and like hopefully the wasp, I didn't know where the nest was. So I was like, it could be above the door. I could be sitting there trying to lock this cabin and (laughs) just all these wasps around me. So luckily I got out of there without being stung and the lock turned very conveniently pretty quickly. So yeah, that was a wild time though. 
And it goes to show being calm works. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I know this is supposed to be like a positive wasp episode, but that does sound like such a Criminal Minds episode. It was very spooky. I was like, is this Stranger Things? Is this the Upside Down? <laughs> like The way they descended from the roof was just, I'll never forget it. I was like, hmm, I guess the only thing I can do is just sit here for a second because I don't think they've noticed me. <laughs> yeah, there might have been a gate to the Upside Down on the top, like in the roof of the shed. Oh, yeah. It was definitely it's like one of those that. historical buildings where like something spooky could be in there. You never know. Anyway, getting back to the the wasp stings, I'm sure everyone has crazy wasp stories. Yeah, so it was interesting you mentioned allergies because apparently histamine is a common venom ingredient in bees and wasps. And what it does is it causes your blood vessels to dilate and that causes swelling, redness, and itching. So the sharp pain comes from acetylcholine, which is found in hornet venom. And this makes the pain last longer than a bee sting. So... Both have histamine, which is interesting. I because I guess antihistamines is what you take for allergic reactions, and this is histamine. So I don't I'm not a medical person, but that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to me. Also, I should mention that only female wasps can sting because the sting is actually a modified egg-laying structure called an ovipositor. So if you happen to know the difference between a male and a female wasp, you can, you know, fool your friends, pick up a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah, then you would look you would look very strong and brave. You'd have to be really good at insect ID. And so I know you talked last week about how there are some birds that can eat them. Yeah, so man, it's wild. Like some animals don't seem to care that much about these things at all. Like there's this bird called the red-throated caracara, and it has a really interesting behavior to take down a wasp nest to eat the larvae of the wasps. So this falcon lives in Central and South America, and it's a cooperative breeder that will travel in groups. They're specialist predators that only eat social wasps, and I think maybe a few other things, but yeah, mostly social wasps. The researchers in the video I was watching described that one of their nest cameras saw one chick eat 15 wasp nests in a day over nine days of recording. So they are one feeding chick? these chicks. One chick. Oh and I mean, the wasp nest wasn't that big, the one in the video, but like still, that's that's a lot of nests that these birds are having to collect in a day. I guess it makes sense though, because like one wasp nest, you, it's kind of like a pomegranate. You have to work really hard to get the food inside. Yeah. So we have to think like, how does a car car do this? So it seems like when it comes to small wasp nests, these will be abandoned without much defense when they come in and, you know, try and take it. But with the larger nests, the caracara will probably initially be driven away by the swarm. So next time it returns, it'll bring some backup caracaras. And if these two birds can't scare off the defending wasp, it's sort of time to pull out all the stops. And the caracara will fly high speed at the nest and it'll knock it off its attachment and send it falling to the ground where the wasps will just scatter. Now, I don't recommend trying this approach with the hive in your yard because this works for caracaras as the nests that they attack are swarm founder species. They're still social wasps, but they're able to quickly swarm and found a new colony, which is something you don't really see in like the uh, vespids so much. 
So at a point in which something like their nest completely falling to the ground happens, they just sort of will abandon it. They're they're just going to say, forget about it. This is this is the end. This is called the abandoning response and the Karakaras exploit this response. So yeah, that's, I think, so interesting that this hawk-like bird, or I guess falcon-like bird, can do this. There's another bird called the honey buzzard, and it looks a bit like a hawk. And it'll rip into underground yellow jacket nests. It's got these very dense feathers all around its face that keep the wasp stings from reaching its skin. And laced in its feathers is a chemical bug spray it produces, which is so cool. I say chemical bug, bug spray as a metaphor, of course, but like... Yeah, it's like a repellent. Beyond these birds, plenty of mammals like bears, badgers, mustelids, and raccoons will rip up the occasional nest, and rodents, reptiles, bats, and even monkeys will still eat hornets and wasps. Worst of all for the wasps, there are other predators, notably the ants. Army ants are very fearsome and can attack in large numbers. Despite the best attempts of the wasps, ants can storm in and overpower them eventually forcing the wasps out to establish a new colony and stealing their larvae to eat. So to avoid this, some paper wasps will apply a chemical they produce to the spot where their nest is suspended. So if it's on a branch, they'll put it like right at the top of the branch where the tip of the nest is. And this chemical messes with ant chemical trails that are being left by scout ants that tell the army where to attack. So it's like they're intercepting this war message to protect the hive. And they have to reapply this as well, which is kind of cool. Like they they kind of, you know, keep setting up their defenses over and over again. That's so cool. It really are our three-part series on the ants and our two-part series on the wasps are like colliding. It's really coming together. Who would win in a battle? Uh, my money's always going to be on the ants forever now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention one of the other wild... I guess, enemies of the wasps, and it's called the Twisted Wing Parasite. Beyond being an amazing band name, this parasite (laughs) is very disgusting and also fascinating. The males get their name from their wings that look kind of like one of those coffee filter butterfly crafts for toddlers. That is to say that their wings are twisted up, unsurprisingly. Now, the males only live for a few hours, and like many other short-lived males in the animal world, his only goal is to find a mate. Now, his mate is in a very unexpected location, so she's kind of hiding coyly between the abdominal segments of a wasp. She's basically tucked in there, looking much like a sunflower seed stuck in your teeth. It's a little weird. She doesn't have wings, she doesn't have legs, and she barely has eyes. Her head kind of pokes out, but the rest of her body is soft and has filled much of the wasp's abdomen. Once a male finds her with these long chemical receiving antenna, he will come over and pierces a spot between her head and the rest of her body with its genitalia to mate with her. And this spot is called the brood canal. With that, the female's fertilized, her eggs grow inside her, and eventually they hatch in her body. When the the larvae hatch, they kind of come up the way they came through the brood canal. They get ready to escape their mother and the wasp host will sort of like land on a flower. The larva will jump off. And when a new wasp arrives, it'll sort of pick up some of these larvae and carry them by mistake back to its nest where 
these larvae can find a new wasp egg or larva. Once they found a host, they feed on the blood of that host before finally being able to implant themselves just like their mother did into the abdominal segments of a newly hatched adult wasp. Wow. I hate that. Like, that's some body, (laughs) real body horror there. Like, I don't think you could come up with something kind of more unsettling than like this parasite hiding in the abdominal segments who basically doesn't have any body parts and it's just like just there and then the eggs hatching inside of her like yeah like oh you guys really need to search up a picture of the twisted wing parasite because you can barely see it it honestly is so so hard to see it's a little more obvious in some pictures than others but search it up see if you can find this it literally just looks like a seed sticking out of their body. And that is the parasite. Wow. The, the part that grosses me out is not that it's tucked between the abdominal segments, uh, which for visualization, you know how like a wasp looks like it has armor on its sort of like butt part and that armor looks like it's layered, like it'll be under those layers. So that part was not surprising to me. What I didn't know about them was that they fill the abdominal area like they are in its body yeah and sticking its head out that is unbelievable and it'll grow up with this larva like this wasp has known nothing else but this like weird alien sticking its head out of its butt yeah it looks it looks really uncomfortable i don't know if it actually is but oh it's gotta be right yeah it's gotta be irritating I guess it depends on the size of the parasite. I'm looking oh, at a, a photo of it in an article in Wired and it the, the caption says, this is what it looks like to have multiple female strepsiptera. Strepsiptera. Yeah, they're called strepsiptera. Poking their oviducts out of your body. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Very graphic. Wow. And you can see Ugh. the male mating with them. The male looks so different. Extreme sexual dimorphism, yeah. Yeah, they look like completely different animals. Like, it's pretty amazing. That's so cool. So I hope our listeners enjoyed that very graphic depiction of parasitism in wasps. (laughs) If that doesn't give you sympathy for wasps, I don't know what will. But then there's lots of parasitic wasps, so... Oh, you're right. And so can we also talk about murder hornets? I don't know if that's, like, fallen off people's radars because it was big, kind of... I remember when it was like COVID and murder hornets and I was like, why? (laughs) Why have we been (laughs) forsaken? (laughs) It was like, yes, this is the apocalypse. Like this is mid 2020. We're at home. We're just like soaking in anxiety and boredom. And then like, you know, we look on Instagram and it's like, yeah, murder hornets. They're here. They're going to destroy everything. They're going to take over North America. And interestingly enough, Vancouver was actually like one of the first places that they were found in North America, at least recently. So it was fall 2019, where a small number of the quote unquote murder hornets were found. And around the same time, Washington found like a couple of dead ones. But the first full nest in the States was found in Washington in October 2020. And the nest held about 400 adults and larvae, 100 of which were queens. And presumably some of those larvae were also going to develop into queens. As far as I can tell, there's not 
really any new news articles about murder hornets being found. So I assume they were relatively successful in hunting them down, which doesn't surprise me actually, because apparently, apparently everyone in the world was just like looking for them. So, (laughs) and they're, they're not exactly subtle. So yeah, I mean, that's great to hear because you don't really want those hanging around. But yeah, if anyone knows like what is going on with the murder hornets, let us know. But as far as I could tell, it seems like we're doing pretty okay. Of course, if you see a murder hornet, report it. Like Google how to report it. It's probably very useful to do. Uh, Apparently, a lot of entomologists were just like flooded with just pictures of regular yellow jackets (laughs) that people thought were like really big and people were really freaked out about it. If, if you're wondering, just search up a picture of the Asian giant hornet. It's very distinct. It's very orangey. You shouldn't mistake it for a yellow jacket if you're in doubt. So Google Images can help you out here. So the Asian giant hornet, let's talk a little bit about it. It's now renamed the Northern Giant Hornet because basically scientists thought that was more accurate to its actual range. I'm honestly just going to keep calling it the murder hornet. I know that's like bad for its like image, but it's just easier (laughs) to say. It's the world's largest hornet. It's about four centimeters or an inch and a half in length. At least the female workers are. And just stop this podcast. Go grab a ruler. Think about how big that is. That's an inch and a half. And it's it's not a skinny bug. Like it's girthy. So it's pretty scary looking. Yeah, I wouldn't like to come across that. No. The word hornet basically just means a wasp that has part of its range in Asia, which is something I didn't know. So the European hornet that exists in parts of North America is actually non-native as well. This hornet was native to temperate and tropical mountains and forests in Eastern Asia, but those climates just so happen to be sort of similar to the Pacific Northwest. So it did, I mean, it survived a little bit here, which is pretty impressive. Now people were quite stressed about this bug for a couple reasons. One, it has the potential to really do a number on honeybee populations and the beekeeping industry. Hornets do really like to eat bees. They're fatty and nutritious. They also hunt other social wasps and hornets. And I should mention that bee hunting behavior happens with yellow jackets too. This is not a hunting practice reserved for murder hornets, but they do do it a lot more often than a regular yellow jacket would. And on the rare occasion, if a bee nest is close enough to a murder hornet nest, a slaughter phase can begin in which the murder hornets will basically come and kill all the worker bees of a colony of even thousands, and it'll take over the hive and feed on their larvae. Now, this is pretty uncommon, but it can happen. And for beekeepers, that's pretty scary. Slaughter phase is an interesting way to put it, like... That would be a good horror movie name, <laughs> Slaughter Yeah, Beans. like, oh man, it's funny reading these scientific books because there are some very dramatic <laughs> phrases to describe behavior. Like, I have this book on wasps open right next to me and like, yeah, there, there's just some great vocabulary in hymenopteran science, including slaughter phase. <laughs> slaughter phase. <laughs> uh, it's just a phase. Just a phase. Um, More likely, the murder hornets will probably just sort of like occasionally stop by a beehive and just, you know, pick off the occasional hive member. So not great still, but 
not as devastating as just like a slaughter phase. Now, these predators aren't as big of a problem for bees in Asia because they're used to these giant invaders. They can actually pick up the scent of the hornet when it comes and marks their doorstep with its pheromone to indicate to its sisters that it's found prey. And when a hornet enters the nest, she'll basically get completely covered in bees. The bees will vibrate all around her and create like this big bee pizza oven. And they'll raise the temperature inside the bee ball to over 45 degrees Celsius. That will kill the hornet. Now, as long as there's not too many hornets, this defense actually might work, but the bees can get overwhelmed, so it's not always a successful strategy. But the fact that they can recognize the scent really gives them an advantage. Whereas European honeybees, which are the livestock that we have here, do not have this defense behavior ingrained in their little bee memories, so they are more susceptible. They can't make the the bee pizza oven. (laughs) I I guess they do on occasion do that, but I think they're like less prepared. They're like taken aback. They're like, whoa, 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 we're not ready. We're not ready. Yeah. (laughs) And then they die. So (laughs) not great. (laughs) I just want some bees to make me like a margarita pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Little bees with chef hats. Yeah. Oh, I love it. The other thing, obviously, that people are worried about with the murder hornets is that they're sting. Their sting is like a public health hazard. It's excruciatingly (laughs) painful. Um, They have a quarter inch long stinger. And if you're allergic to that, that's pretty dangerous. Their stinger can poke through ordinary beekeeping suits. And they can also spray their venom. And that's not good. (laughs) You don't want to get... I keep laughing because I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. I can't believe this animal exists. Yeah, so if you ever, I don't know, happen to be in an area where, you know, there's a giant Asian hornet's nest nearby, maybe wear some safety goggles because, yeah, you can actually, like, get your eyes kind of messed up if the venom gets in your eyes. So, yeah. And the venom can also be lethal if in a big enough dose, if received. But this is pretty rare even in places where the hornet is native. So I should mention that, like, lots of animals can kill people, but this is pretty rare. Yeah. Interestingly, the venom of the honeybee is actually more concentrated and toxic than the murder hornet, but the murder hornet can deliver more venom and sting more than once, which makes them uh, more unpleasant. Fun. I'm I'm glad I finally learned about that and that it's not fall of 2019 and they're not hanging out in Vancouver, probably. Probably. Keyword. (laughs) You guys can have everything. There's one behind me right now. (laughs) plot twist the call is coming from inside the house (laughs) (laughs) it's marked your doorstep with a pheromone yeah i'm getting the pizza oven ready (laughs) (laughs) oh you just yeah you just gotta lock it in the oven it's like in stranger things when they lock billy in the sauna yeah (laughs) i'm gonna get my bat with my nails in it yeah Man, this would make a really good horror movie. I feel like it's been done, though. But I feel like it, it was done in, like, a really cheesy horror way. And I feel like really effective horror is, like, quite realistic. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like there's so many opportunities to be scientific about your horror. I was about to say this wouldn't be, like, a B horror movie. Like, it, but it would be. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is terrible. I've gotten really into the cycle of, like, negative thinking around the wasps, which is exactly... Not the point of this entire episode. 
Okay, so now for my rant about why you shouldn't do what Sophie and I just did, which is villainize the wasp. (laughs) It is wrong. (laughs) At the start of last week's episode, I said I would prove to you why we need social wasps. And here is my final closing statement. Okay, get ready. Buckle in. So the following is a list of ecosystem services provided in a review by Brock et al. 2021 called Ecosystem Services Provided by Aculeate Wasps. So if you want to read that, that's the paper. And this is what they had to say. So social wasps have been observed feeding on pests of many crops, including maize crops and cabbage crops. They form a part of pollination networks. And importantly, they can help pollinate when other pollinators just aren't present. Wasps happen to be pretty tough and they are generalists. So when the weather is colder, they might be the only pollinators around. Vespids have also been found to scavenge undead animals, suggesting that they can perform decomposition services. Another species of wasp, Vespa velutina, is found to be a seed disperser for a plant called Stemona tuberosa. And who's to say other wasp species don't do the same? The fact is, we don't have a lot of research on wasps, considering how many wasps there are. Wasps are also eaten in at least 19 countries, and they can be an important source of nutrition, and wasp rearing is an important source of income for some farmers who farm the wasps. Also, the feces of larvae of some wasps have been used as bioindicators, as it can concentrate lead and thus can be used as a bioindicator of landscape-level lead contamination. And most interestingly to me, wasp venom has also been used in biomedical research. One of the components of wasp venom has been found to contain antimicrobial properties that could help fight the human pathogen Mycobacterium abscessus. Vespids also have a peptide called mastoparin in their venom that actually shows promise for combating cancer. And that's from a paper by Yamada et al. 2005 and Moreno et al. 2014. And keep in mind that these services are services to humans. We aren't even talking about all of the ecosystem services they provide as part of a larger ecosystem among other organisms. Like, things are so complex, we just don't know a lot of the time what's going on there. Yeah, that's that's a big list, especially for something like that's just about a few species, really. And like, as you said, there are so many species. Yeah, it's really interesting because they kind of tried to compile just a bunch of examples. And beyond that, there's still like there's so many species for each service. So and there's there's just like in terms of biomass and number, there's so many wasps just out there. You might also be wondering after these two episodes why I'm so dead set on giving wasps a better reputation. Like, why does it matter? And at this point, I really like to point to the bees. Like, at one point, bees had nearly as bad a reputation as wasps. And then, you know, at some point, like relatively recently, that all changed as the world sort of panicked about losing bees and all their pollination services and everything else they do. So, Now people are more concerned about pesticides. Many people have attempted to plant more flowers in their garden and stopped mowing their lawns and they've sort of left leaves on the ground for bees to hibernate under. There's this public effort. And more than that, when I speak to people about bugs, there's a very clear difference in their willingness to learn and change their behavior when I talk about bees and the benefit to bees versus when I talk about ants or wasps or beetles. Like if I say, hey, maybe you should consider like, 
leaving some logs out or not, you know, taking all your dead leaves out of your yard and leaving like a pile of leaves for the bugs. If I say you should do that for the beetles or, you know, the ants or whatever bug, that's a lot less interesting than if I say it's really helpful to bees. Yeah. So they understand that bees serve some kind of purpose to humans and that willingness to learn about bees has really allowed me to have some very rewarding conversations with people about solitary bees, you know, how honeybees are actually livestock, etc. You know, those people will st- sit there and listen much longer than if I'm talking to them about wasps. And now that person is walking away with new ecological knowledge. So just in terms of like people's willingness to learn, I think adjusting people's perspective on wasps is very important. There's also a bias in terms of research. So there's lots of research around the ecosystem services like pollination and decomposition of bees, butterflies, and beetles, but much fewer around the sort of unpopular insects. And this is really unhelpful for everyone because ultimately we know so little about bugs and we don't need more barriers to that learning. The reality is regular people who aren't necessarily experts on every topic in science may be the ones deciding who gets the research funding. And if bees are more popular than wasps and they have two research projects sitting in front of them, you know, the average person might be more likely to choose the bee project. And I think a negative perception of bugs really affects everyone much more than they think. I love that. Yeah. I think I think that's really important to say. It, it reminds me too of kind of charismatic marine mammals versus like things like kelp or tiny little zooplankton or something that people don't care about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with sort of talking about the murder hornets and how crazy they are so long as we can like be both like maybe disgusted, but also fascinated and appreciative. I think there's the sort of that balance. That I think we try and strike in this show. Hopefully we're striking it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of almost like a morbid curiosity with them. Like, Yeah, right? It is really cool. And like, I don't want to be alone in a room with one, but I respect them. I certainly yeah, have a respect healthy respect. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. One study I read actually looked into public perception on wasps and bees, and it's called Why We Love Bees and Hate Wasps by Sumner et al., uh, 2018. I don't know why I can't say et al properly. Et al, like yeah. I read it and I say et al, but saying it feels very natural. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's an aside. So this is a quote from their summary uh, of their paper. And they say, the results show that wasps are indeed universally disliked by the public. And moreover, are unpopular research taxa among researchers. Words used to describe wasps are emotive and negative, whilst those describing bees are functional and positive. A low level of interest in nature and a lack of knowledge among the public and research effort among scientists regarding the ecosystem services of wasps are likely to be at the root of the negative perception. While the ecosystem services of bees are well understood by the public, those provided by wasps are poorly understood. So the fact remains that, you know, these things are tied together. Researchers are also the public. So we can't forget that. Yeah. So listeners... I really want you to walk away from this episode with a newfound respect for wasps. Please spread the good wasp vibes for the rest of the summer. And if you really don't want to deal with wasps, maybe get some like little covers or plate covers for your food so they can't smell the sugary watermelon a mile away. So next time someone says, ew, a wasp, you can be like, did you know that wasps can also pollinate because the adults need sugar to survive? And that person will be like, huh, I didn't know that. And you're going to look really smart. So win-win. 
Totally. I mean, thank you so much for doing this series. I have learned a lot and I think it's changed my perceptions of wasps so much. Like even just when I've, you know, in the last week been like sitting out on my patio working and stuff and and a wasp comes by to like check out the snack that I'm eating. I'm just like, oh, hello, are you interested in this snack? And then they kind (laughs) of like look at it and fly away and I'm like, Okay, bye. (laughs) Nice to see you. Yeah, just try and pretend it's a bee next time. Yeah. I know they're more persistent than bees, which can be obnoxious, but... Yeah, they they like their meat. They are meat bees to bring it all... Meat bees. Back. (laughs) All back to blathers. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Olivia, for all that info. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and follow us on TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.